Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops is a sponsor of the podcast. And that's especially powerful for me because I remember when Cabela's came to town, came to Springfield, Oregon, and I actually played a role in the opening of that store. Instead of cutting the grand opening ribbon with scissors, I shot it with an arrow. And it was just a monumental thing. I mean, everybody here in town was talking about, hey, are you going to go to Cabela's? Can you believe Cabela's is coming here to Springfield, Oregon? So I know what a staple those giants in the industry are. And it's actually, it's one of the first places people go when they're looking to get geared up to be to become a hunter is they go to Cabela's and buy everything they need. So I'm very excited that we've partnered together and we can help open up those outdoor and hunting opportunities to listeners of this podcast. Leupold Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. That's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Leupold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Leupold, for supporting the podcast. Every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me stop, I use. Every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood so I am relentless. All right. Welcome to the Keep Hammering Collective. My guest today is Amala. And I don't even know how to say, I've never even tried sure. to say your last name. What yeah, is it? So it's Amala Epinobi. Epinobi. The K is silent in my last name for some odd reason. Okay. So yeah, everybody's going to have trouble with it. Well, <laughs> all I know is you're Gen Z, right? Yes. So you are my favorite Gen Z influencer. Is uh, that what you are? Man, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that means a lot. <laughs> I, That's awesome. Yeah, all the other ones are probably way more woke than you, I would guess. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Do you know a lot of other Gen Z influencers, though? This is the the, the test. <laughs> Am I the only one you know? You're probably the only one. <laughs> I'll still take it. Yeah, I'll but it. it's. Uh, I have been following you. I love what you do. I love the message you get out there. I love um, your spirit, I guess. It's just so refreshing. And I, it, it shocks me that you're 22 years old, right? Yeah. I'm a baby. How, <laughs> how does one go from whatever you were doing to being in the position you are with PragerU? How'd that happen? Yeah. I, it was a long journey, I guess, from a really young age, I was super politically active and invested in activism and things like that, just because of the way that I was raised. Mm -hmm. I was raised by a single mother who's very active on the left. So I had that deeply ingrained in my system from a real young age. And I always took politics pretty seriously and became an activist when I graduated high school instead of going to college. And once that didn't go well for me and I realized that wasn't the right political ideology for me and I needed to start exploring, conservatism came around and I started making videos about it on the internet and they just took off and PragerU picked me up out of the blue. Well, okay, so you went through a lot of things right there. Sure, sure. How, can you get close to the mic too? Yeah. Yeah. How did, so how did that transition happen? I mean, if you were so motivated to be politically, I guess, on the other side of where we are now, mm -hmm. how, how did that change happen? What, what precipitated that transition? 
working for the left in a lot of ways made me wake up. I graduated high school having worked a lot as an activist in a voluntary capacity for my mother's organization that she was working for. So I was staging protests and going and talking to young people about getting involved with socialism and feminism and fighting the patriarchy. Really? <laughs> yeah, just all these crazy things. I was going around and just organizing the students at my school. So. Did you did you believe in it or were you? I believe is. I guess, yeah, I believe is, is the word for that. I wasn't educated enough to truly knew to truly know where I stood, mm -hmm. but I was taught from such a young age about my own victimization and about my place in the world as a young black woman that that was just all that I had known. Mm -hmm. I knew that by virtue of being born this way, life was going to be hard for me, and I knew there was a fight ahead and something that we had to push for. So from... Activist was just really what I identified with. I wasn't really that well educated. Mm -hmm. So when you say you knew that you were, that victimhood was part of you, mm -hmm. you knew because that's what people were telling you? Yes. Yes. Did, did you know that from life? Or just what you were hearing? No. So in retrospect, I look back at my life. I grew up in a very small, rural, conservative, and mostly white town in the middle of central Florida. I was doing really well in school. I graduated valedictorian. I worked a job after high school. I got scholarships to the colleges I wanted to go to. By every marker of success, I was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. But because I had gotten that narrative, I was convinced that mm -hmm. the world was set out against me for some reason. What, did you experience racism or did you experience anything that you would be a victim about? You know, here and there, kids in school would call me an Oreo because I was biracial mm -hmm. and you'd get those little nicknames thrown out at you, but never any strong, definitive examples of racism mm -hmm. that I experienced. It was all stories that I had heard through the news and media and watching, you know, police shootings happening and attaching myself to the narratives mm -hmm. of other people that made me really believe it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, and then... When you, when this change happened that you spoke of, mm -hmm. what did, was your, is your dad around? Was your, or was it just your mom? Yeah, it was just my mom at the time. So my parents divorced when I was around six years old. So okay. my mom's doing my primary, my primary parent. And then, so how, when you said you changed basically philosophies, from, yeah. how, what did she think of that? I can imagine she, she felt a lot of pain and I think maybe a deep sense of just betrayal. And I think that's normal for a lot of parents. You mm -hmm. know, you, you raise your kids to have your values and then one day they turn around and sort of spit at you and say, I don't believe in what you taught me anymore. So it was a rough transitional period for her. And when I told her that we'd go back and forth and argue on different issues, we'd argue about abortion and then mm -hmm. climate and then immigration. And it would turn into these screaming matches mm -hmm. that were just so uncontrollable. And we went through that really rocky road for a matter of months. And then at some point, I think she realized, oh, this is not changing. Okay. <laughs> In fact, she's going to pursue this even mm. further. So maybe we need to set politics aside. Right. Yeah. And just not discuss it at all or... We went through a period of not discussing it at all. It was like we were dancing around landmines every time we talked to each yeah. other because it's her job. It's her career. She's so passionate about it. So it, it clearly came the, up in conversation. That's her job right now? Yeah. So she works for a left-leaning organization and mm. fundraises and develops money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine because on the other side of it, my daughter is going to a liberal school mm -hmm. here in town, University of Oregon. And... uh 
we're conservative. And so I could, you know, if she comes home with these woke ideologies, it's going to be an issue. Right. So it was the exact same thing, but opposite for your mother. So I, I understand I don't, you'd, I think I would feel betrayed. Yeah. You'd be like, did I teach you nothing? Did yeah. anything stick with you? Right. You would feel it. You would feel it. You know? And I mean, we, we went through that even regarding COVID because people would see COVID and if they were afraid of it, then they would say, well, I want to get the vaccine. And this happened in many families, but I want to get the vaccine vaccine. And then maybe somebody in your family is saying you don't need to because mm-hmm. you don't we don't trust the government. We don't trust what's going on with the vaccine. So don't get it. And, uh, I know families had to deal with that internal thing about vaccine or not just 100%. about that thing. Yeah. And that's all because of how the narrative has been spin, how, uh, the media portrays things. And then they attach that to fear, which might be similar to what you went through because, um, the media does highlight things and it does elicit response from people. And then you do, even if you haven't went through it yourself, I can't talk about racism, but even if you Mm -hmm. haven't, but you're like, you can put yourself there. And so you can feel impacted. Right. It is a hard time. Yeah. And they, they tie these stories and these narratives and these little issues. And they say, you know, if not only can somebody disagree with you on this, but if they disagree with you on this, it points to a darker character in themselves. And it mm-hmm. actually shows that they're not a compassionate person. If you didn't get vaccinated, you're a grandma killer and right. you don't care about people and you're selfish. Mm-hmm. So they point to these deep internal values that yeah. one holds. Yeah. So now you're just holding a basic political or medical position mm-hmm. and people think you're the devil. Yeah. It, it's, it's really wild. It is. It's a, it's a crazy time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as we've talked about, you know, in some side discussions, politics, it's, it, they like division because they, that gives them, they can play the whatever, whatever role they want to play. But if people are getting along, it makes politicians and people that want to sell fear a little less valuable. Mm -hmm. So they, they want that division. They want that, get, keep people riled up. And You've talked about this in regard to BLM Mm -hmm. and what's your thoughts on that? I haven't heard, you know, I know you've spoke on it, but what's your stance on it? Yeah. So I used to be super pro Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. uh, marched with them, watched all the videos of police brutality that they they pointed at as evidence for their movement and fell hook, line and sinker for this idea. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the house is on fire. Black Lives Matter. You need to you need to help those people first. And then I realized just through trial and tribulation, really, that what they stood for was not going to help black people whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They were calling for defunding the police. They're calling for the breakdown of the nuclear family, which has destroyed black communities. And I just ever so slowly started to realize these things Mm. and recognize that you can put a lovely statement like Black Lives Matter on on any sort of wicked movement that you're trying to push forward. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have good values. It doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. And when I just found out that they weren't doing anything for the families that they were talking about, that they were taking in all this money and it was just disappearing and going nowhere, Mm -hmm. it was just hard to support. And now I stand on the other side going, you know, even a statement like black lives matter is Mm -hmm. inherently divisive and not something that we need at all. Yeah. I mean, I mean, who, who would say that black lives don't matter? Nobody's saying that. Right. I mean, I've never heard anybody say that. So, 
I, it is. It's a slippery slope, though, because mm-hmm. you want everybody to feel valued. You want people who might feel um, disenfranchised to feel validated. I mean, I get it. Yep. But man, it's uh, this division doesn't help anybody. No. Um, so with PragerU, so how did that? You were working in a medical office, was that right? Yeah, an and, allergy clinic. <laughs> an allergy cl- I mean, that is living on the edge. <laughs> yeah, really pushing the envelope. <laughs> well, so how did how did you go from, from there making TikTok videos to being this, I mean, a very influential young lady? I mean, sure. how? I always say I just kind of stumbled into doing what I do now and tripped over myself and landed at PragerU. So. Oh, I was going to back up. Yeah. Like in high school, you, were you always vocal and... Um... Annoyingly so. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, was, I was the worst. I really? was. Yeah. So I was consumed with this idea of injustice and hating this country and hating conservatives and all these different things. So I was seeking out injustice anywhere that I could find mm. it. And Every, inserting yourself? And inserting myself. Okay. Oh, and this is such... a a strong point when it comes to analyzing people who are on the left is that they are fueled by injustice or Mm -hmm. at least the fabrication of injustice and they need it to live. I literally needed it to feel passion in life. So I was constantly looking for things to be mad at, constantly looking for protests to stage. And I did that. Yeah. So in high school, Florida experienced the Parkland shooting Mm -hmm. and Florida put proposed this bill of, okay, well, let's arm teachers if this mm-hmm. is going to happen. And I came in full force. I was organizing students, showing up to the school board. Was this David Hogg? Yep. Okay. Yep. So a lot of the drivers there and in March for Our Lives, that whole movement, mm-hmm. I got involved with them. I started going to my school board and yelling at my school board, oh, wow. <laughs> the committee and saying, I can't vote now, but I'm going to vote you out as soon as I can. <laughs> I don't know where I got the audacity, but that's what I was doing. So I did that all throughout high school. I was Mm -hmm. always super, super vocal. Were you on debate? No. Did they have debate team? No, we didn't have debate team in high school, but I had speech class. And once a week, we'd be able to present in speech class. And all these people would talk about their dogs or their family. And I would go and make speeches about women's reproductive rights or yeah, the prison industrial complex and just these crazy things that nobody wanted to talk about at like 15 years old. But why, why did you have that interest? What do you think? I think I was super inspired by my mother and what she was working in day Mm -hmm. in and day out. And as a single mother, you know, when I had days off school, I went to work with her Mm -hmm. and I met all these really wonderful, compassionate people who were doing the work, Mm -hmm. but they're also, you know, sending these little messages to me and shaping a sort of prodigy as far as the work that they're doing. So I wanted to impress people by being a young person doing this and, you know, Mm -hmm. pushing the envelope, but also was just deeply convinced that it was the compassionate thing to do, Hmm. that you had to spend your life advocating for people who were marginalized. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it it sounds like from your mother, um, you wanted to make a difference. I mean, there's, there's a noble, I guess, slant to all that. You Mm -hmm. wanted to make a difference and you still are making a difference. It's just not from the direction that you thought at once, right? Yeah. I guess the, the shift that happened in my mind and a friend of mine, Dave Rubin talks about this in a wonderful quote that he has when he says, I, when I was on the left, I was trying to control the world and change it and be, Mm -hmm. you know, transformative. And now that I'm outside of that space, I'm trying to understand the world Mm -hmm. and just learn my place within it. And now that's where I try to approach things. I'm not trying to bring about this big transformation. 
transformative, you know, move everything around and fix it and create utopia. Now I'm just like, okay, <laughs> now I'm navigating this earth. Where, what am I, this little human and, and where's my place? That's quite a, I mean, what a journey. I mean, cause you start when you're fit, when most people are 15, mm-hmm. they definitely aren't worried about making a difference in activism. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So now you're 22, seven years later and you've switched gears, but this impact you're making, it, this isn't normal. This isn't mm. normal for somebody your age. Um, where is this going? I wish I knew. <laughs> right now, I'm just sort of taking it day by day because I could have never anticipated that what I was doing was even going to get me here. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, just started making those videos on my phone. as just a hobby. I didn't even think anybody was really going to see it. It was just an outlet. And when it took off, I, I followed that where it led and it led to PragerU. And I'll, I guess I'll follow that to the next day. But I'm hoping that my job doesn't last for long because my job is pointing out nonsense and I hope that the nonsense just <laughs> yeah. stops so that you can go back to normal life. Yeah. I mean, so if your job doesn't last for long, mm-hmm. what's, like I said, what's your, your goal? Is it just to continue to make a difference, make an impact on the world? Is it, you know, uh, help young people? Is it politics? For right now, it's helping people who were like me back then mm-hmm. and maybe opening the eyes a little bit and saying, hey, you, you don't have to agree with me, but the world is not as bad as you think it is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be as angry as you are right now. And in fact, you're going to be way more fulfilled on the other end of this if you just take a moment and listen to somebody different. Mm-hmm. And once I've accomplished that to some extent, I think I'm just going to move on and be a mom. Really? <laughs> yeah. Maybe have a homestead or something. <laughs> That's my goal. Get into the woods, huh? Yeah. And just live a sim- the simple life. Yeah. I'll have to convince my boyfriend on that one, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just knowing what I know of you, that seems like a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be, it seems like a stretch. I, I, I don't know how long you'd last just <laughs> not making a difference or not that this ripple effect that you, you know, are causing in it, in it, it's a positive, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I don't, I don't see it just disappearing. Yeah. I think I'm meant for something else. I think so. Um, so how Prager you, how, how did that, I, we started to talk about and I interrupted you, but no worries. So you went the TikTok videos and then who reached out at Prager and how that, what happened? Yeah. So uh, a couple people, I made a video about debunking white privilege Mm -hmm. on TikTok. It was a 60 second video where I said, white privilege isn't real. You know, black people get all these advantages. They got affirmative action. They're got uh, preferential treatment on all these different platforms. They literally get to go and burn down cities if in the name of black lives matter and nothing happens. And that video went out and got 10 million views in a few days. And my producer Taylor, who you met found mm. the video as well as Sabrina, somebody you you've met at Prager you as well. And they just gave the, the video to one of the higher ups there and mm. uh, contacted me and said, you know, why don't you come out to LA and just tell your story for a series that we have called Stories of Us, where we mm-hmm. walk through this transformation you had. And I came to LA, told my story. And then at the end of the trip, they said, do you want to work here? Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was 20 at the time. And I said, okay, give me eight weeks. Went home. I dropped out of school. I broke the lease on my apartment. I sold everything. And then I moved out here. And any regrets? No. You love it? Not at all. Yeah. I was 
in a space in life, I think at the time where if I had not made a big jump, I was just going to sit in stagnancy and Mm -hmm. never do anything that was, you know, phenomenal at all. So it was the push that I needed and just a jump that I think had I not taken, I would just be, you know, sitting in my hometown doing nothing probably. Yeah. And you know, people do, I don't know, that's a, that's a big move. Mm -hmm. You know, people would find a lot of reasons not to do that. You know what I mean? I got a good job. My family's here. Mm -hmm. What gave you the confidence or how were you brave enough to do that? Naivete. That was all that it was. I had this beautiful picturesque image of what Los Angeles was. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time I got there and realized that it wasn't that at all, (laughs) I was already there. (laughs) Gotcha. So we got to work. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, what a journey. I mean, I can't believe, I, I just can't believe that journey for being so young and then having this type of impact. Um, how about writing a book? Have you ever thought about that? No, I, I mean, it's been offered to me and several people have come and, and asked me about the possibility of writing a book. I feel like right now I'm in the middle of something that I don't know how it ends. Mm-hmm. So it'd be weird to kind of put pen to paper on it right now. And I also feel like the stuff that I talk about or bring is, is not necessarily new. These are really old ideas that have already been written a million times. And as soon yeah. as I have something new, maybe I'll write well, a book. What hasn't been written is that transformation from woke to conservative. Sure. I mean, that is a, that, that is a unique journey. Mm-hmm. No, most of the time when people are young, you can't tell them anything. They already know everything. Yeah. So the fact that you knew everything, you know, in your mind to the complete opposite. That is rare. Hmm. That is rare. Most kids, I mean, it's not till they're older when they're like, wow, I, if I only knew how little I actually knew, you know, every every kid thinks they know it all. So the fact that you're so self-aware and, um, intelligent enough to look at that objectively and say, no, actually I was wrong there. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is more my truth. That is, that's a rare quality. Oh, well, thank you. So. I, I think I still struggle with a little bit too much self-confidence on things. Sometimes, sometimes I'll catch myself, you know, falling for the same things that I did back then mm-hmm. and having this strong sense of confidence because something maybe really emotionally drives me mm-hmm. and I don't have time to sift through the emotions and find clarity. So I guess that's why I have a little bit of hesitancy about writing a book because I'm like, you know, I'm fallible. What yeah. if I'm, what if I'm wrong again about something well, else? Just the fact that you have that perspective makes you, you know, unique. Yeah. Um, so this journey, amazing. Mm-hmm. Who have you had a chance to talk to or meet that stands out that you, that mm. ma- has made the biggest impact on you since, since you've come out West? Ooh, that's a big question. Oh my gosh. I don't know that I have a good enough answer for that. There are, are so many people that I meet on a daily basis mm. that come to me and I'm sure you get this all the time when people meet you they want to tell you the story their story and how they how you've impacted them mm-hmm. and I mean every single person has something just weighing on them that they've been through and that somehow the content that you've created has shine a light for them and it's resonated for them. So every time that happens to me, I'm just like, wow, I'm keeping that in the bank and remembering that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm trying to think of, of somebody who's really helped Dennis and Alan over at PragerU, the co-founders, they've mm-hmm. been really great mentors in what is 
not a really common thing for people to go through and they've already been through it now yeah. and they've been sort of guiding my way and, and letting me know what to anticipate. So that's been great. A role model that I haven't met is Tom Sowell. Mm. I've watched everything that he has to say. I've read his books and too. hopefully I meet him before I know. He's gone. How old is he? He's, he's 90? 90. I think he's like 94 or so something. So smart. I love that guy. He's unbelievably smart. Yeah, of course, I've never met him either. But man, I really admire I admire what he puts out there and what he stands for. Yeah, and he kind of reminds me in the way he speaks of David Goggins. He's just a no-nonsense yeah. man. He just puts it out there and he goes, you know, these are just, these are not my feelings about the matter. Yeah. I investigated. Here's what you got. And right. I would just love to meet him because there's just... He just knows. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I agree. I, I'd be right there with you. Yeah. Um. So I did hear Dennis on mm -hmm. Patrick Bet David's podcast, and it was a pretty insightful. I think I mentioned this yesterday, but now I remember who it was from. It's from him about how these colleges they anytime a conservative speaker comes, it's like the biggest issue: it's security. It's you know people protesting, and um, he says his thoughts were that the reason why they're so protective over that is because a liberal college has years to, um, kind of mold these kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's, what's the word indoctrinate the kids. Yeah. And then a conservative speaker can come in in an hour to all of a sudden throw a monkey wrench and everything because it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And he, he's Dennis Prager's one who said that. Sure. And you said you've experienced some of these same things because you've spoke at colleges. Is that right? Yeah. So I will say on, on Dennis's point, I, I will disagree with him just slightly. I think maybe subconsciously that is their driver for mm -hmm. why they show out in full force when conservatives come. But I think a lot of the students, at least the ones that I've met, are not fully conscious of why they're so angry. They just have been told that we are literally the, the root enemy. of evil. Yes, yeah. the, the exact, the enemy to their existence, to all of their friends' existence, and they truly think it. And when I started going to colleges, at first I was like, oh, la-di-da, everything's going to be fine. Let's go to the first college. And the first college I went to, 50 kids came and protested me and stood there and went and confronted them. They had no arguments for why they hated me so much, but they had made signs and spent the time to gather and who wanted to say? be there. Called me a white supremacist. They oh. called me a Nazi. They said that hate doesn't belong on their campus. Just a bunch of really strong statements. You don't seem like a Nazi. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> the first biracial female Nazi. <laughs> Trendsetter, I guess. Yeah. Um, so what, what, and the colleges, when they reach out to you to speak, what's the premise? They'll say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative kid. I'm running a Republican club at mm -hmm. school or a free thinkers club. And we, it'd be great if you could come and, mm -hmm. and speak to our, our student body. And whoever wants to come will come. And then they put up a flyer that says Omelette Bonobi's coming to campus. And then the swarm starts hmm. of the Democrat club gets involved and the environmental club wants to suddenly say something. And then the students just in full force. And I'll, I'll say what's the most shocking thing about going to these campuses is not only are the students protesting, but faculty members are trying to close in their students and mm -hmm. insulate them from hearing other opinions. And that's way scarier than any 20 year old who doesn't want somebody on their campus. Yeah, that is. That's, I mean, if they preach first amendment rights, freedom of speech, right? How, wh how could they in their conscious shut you down? Right. 
I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's dissonance. They, they don't understand. They're yeah. not making the connection. And to be an adult who's supposed to be fostering a challenge for young minds yeah. and is supposed to be opening them, right. to close them is just the most one of the most despicable things. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that they're not doing it consciously, as Dennis thinks they are. I like to think that they don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and that they're just fueled by, you know, blinders. But it's hard at this point with how bad it's gotten. What's the answer? What's the answer for fixing that problem? What is the answer for fixing that problem? It's, I think the hard answer is the students have to experience their ideology and what it looks like in practice and recognize that that's wrong. And that's what I had to do is I actually had to go into the lion's den, work it out, work for the people who I thought I supported and then realize, oh, this doesn't bring about good results. Mm. And what is unfortunate is that a lot of these students are going to be really unhappy and miserable for a lot of their lives with Mm -hmm. the way that they're thinking. You just hope that maybe one day through the misery, they realize, Oh, I'm bringing this about on myself. I'm bringing this to myself. Right. As I mean, does that do those situations, um, steer you clear of going to colleges and speaking or are you more energized? It's, it's like a half and half. So I, it, it fuels me a hundred percent. I'm way more fueled by hatred and people who want to debate than I am by even supporters of my content. Although I love them dearly, mm-hmm. I'm trying to speak to the old me. And so I'll go to college campuses whenever I get the chance to, there is a little bit of fear involved. Yeah, I certainly have to really cross my T's and dot my I's as far as security is concerned, because in my mind, you know, I'm a small little 22 mm-hmm. year old woman. I know you carried that rock today. Though. Yeah, I carried that pound. Pound rock. <laughs> I know you're, you might be small, but you're strong. Yeah. I'm going to toss one of these protesters over my oh, shoulder. You might, I, I don't know. Yeah. Pretty tough. So I keep it in the back of my mind that, you know, it only takes one person to really yeah. lights out. Right. So I always try to be hyper vigilant yeah. with Aware. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's the most rewarding part that you've had? I mean, you've had, obviously you t- spoke of the challenges with the protests, but what's something that stood out that's positive? Mm. Times where I've gone and students have protested me and I've walked up to them to speak to them mm-hmm. and say, you know, just come into the event. I am just like you. In fact, four years ago, I would have been standing right here with you doing exactly what you're doing. Now I just want to talk. And the students go, okay. And they walk into the event. That is like, you know, a light bulb goes off and I'm yeah, like, I've done my, I've done my job. Or when people walk up and say, you know, I watched one of your YouTube videos and you changed my mind. And I realized that was, I was not thinking the right way on that specific issue. Yeah. It makes my life. That, that would be rewarding. I mean, but I can see that if they just listen to you and give you a chance, it's really hard to not support your journey and your thoughts because they're so well articulated. I'd like to mention a longtime partner of mine, Mountain Op Supplements. I take their products every day and they keep me performing at my best year after year. I should also note that my son Truett works for the company, so I have firsthand knowledge of their focus on faith, family, and fitness. Makes it really easy to partner with a company whose values align with mine. They have a special deal for you guys right now for the podcast launch. If you use code keep hammering on a purchase of $75 or more, you get a free keep hammering BCAA in my new signature flavor pineapple. I'm all about high level performance 
and the BCAs really helped me perform. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a company that's very easy for me to promote because I drink coffee all day, every day. But more importantly, they are a huge supporter of the veteran community and are a veteran-owned business, so they have my full support. Use code KEEPHAMMERING for 20% off your first order and 20% off subscription to The Coffee Club, where you get exclusive coffee blends and merchandise. How does your mom feel now? She has come to be proud really? of the amount of success oh, that I've that I've managed to amass, but she's still not happy with the messaging, of course. Mm. So I, I don't think I'm ever going to see a major shift on that for her just because when you've dedicated your entire career and your livelihood to something, it's really hard to, to make that change. So she hasn't wavered at all? No, not I on mean, anything. I mean, your perspective hasn't like a little bit impacted her? I will say it's, it's impacted her in the way that she views people who have different opinions because it used to be, I can't be friends with them. I can't hang out with them. I don't want to talk to them. And now that you have a daughter that you have to talk to and you have to hang out with, (laughs) (laughs) she's realized, okay, now I think I can do that for other people who I disagree with. Well, that's a win. Yeah. I mean, because we, we do need to be able to listen to people who feel differently than us Yes, and be empathetic and, and conscience of, okay, well, that here's why they feel this way. And I can understand that. Mm-hmm. That's what we're lacking. It seems yeah. like these days, because it's like, it's that division that's, there is no middle, middle ground. Yeah. So I guess even in your family, you've navigated that and it's been successful. Yeah. Do you have any of that in your family where you have disagreeers? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, my sister, she, I don't know, she was very smart, went to the U of O here. Um, but we just did not get along Mm -hmm. and um she was very opinionated just like you and very smart and so it was like there's a lot of arguing i can't even remember what it's about now i think hunting probably (laughs) (laughs) but for sure probably politics too at some point Uh so yeah i mean families you know it's a family dynamic there's there's people who no matter what what your journey dictates somebody else is going a different way and they're they might have feel differently about things sure. and that's the way it goes. I mean, even at my, even at my job, you know, that was sort of like a family and there's so many people who were, if you just even go to the mask, no mask, you know, cause I didn't wear a mask at work and I said, I'm not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to get, you know, suspended or whatever, sure. but there's people there who I really admired, really looked up to, um, this one, this one woman in particular, very smart, and she would look at me with no mask and I could, she was just like furious mm-hmm. and I would look at her wearing a mask and I would be irritated. And yeah. I'm like, something as stupid as this is going to cause, you know, being a human is, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful thing and relationships that we form are so powerful. Mm-hmm. But now I look at her, she looks at me and because of something so dumb as a cloth mask, yep. we hate, not hate each other, but definitely not positive feelings. Right. And that, I mean, that's frustrating, but I can imagine there's families who went through that same thing just over a mask. Yep. And now you find out that the mask 
didn't do anything. And it's just like, how much heartache did that cost? Let, let alone vaccines or anything else, but just a mask. Yeah. You really have to train your brain to let these things exist in the moment and to let them not phase you. And it's difficult. I still struggle with it to, th- to this day, meeting people who I disagree with and going just why? Yeah. Well, how could you possibly, even though I know how it's possible, I believed it literally five years ago. So yeah. it's, it's so difficult. And now I'm in this process and Again, I fail at this all the time of just going, it's okay. Everything's fine. It doesn't matter if they change their mind. My day is going to go about, you know, go about itself. And you can still build a strong relationship with these people. You can still love them. You can still be compassionate and just try to keep that as a reminder. But it's hard. It is hard. hard. And then I was such a, such an anti everything. I'm like, I'm probably going to die from this shit. Mm. And then they'll be like, see, right. (laughs) And then I'll be like, God, I was wrong. And then they'll cheer it on. And (laughs) oh gosh, I know it's, uh, I don't know. So the fear still got you a little bit. So you saw all these people who were, you know, masking up, getting triple vaccinated and you Mm -hmm. go, wait a second, are they actually right about this? I didn't think so, but there's Uh always a voice in the back of your head. Like, what if they are? Right. What if I actually get this? I didn't think I was, I didn't think I was, but I mean, they created so much. At first I was like, I thought everybody's going to die. You know Mm -hmm. how, when it first came out and then after a couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, whatever. What is this just for old people? I mean, if I was old, I guess I'd worry about it, but I'm not worried about it. But yeah, still they did such a good job with the propaganda. It's like, man, even me, I still at times wondered "Hmm, if I die from this, I guess I lost. Right. The, The wild thing for me when this all first started was living in my town, like I said, rural conservative, and then walking into the street or into town and then just the silence. Everybody was home. Everybody was locked down. And that can really convince you. That can really go, well, if everybody's doing it, I must be wrong. I Mm -hmm. must be doing something wrong. So I certainly in the first few months was like, oh, this is real deal. We're going to (laughs) die. I know. That's what they were selling. Yeah. I mean, and they made a bunch of money off of it. Yep. So I guess it worked for them. Good business plan. Mm -hmm. Fauci. Luckily, we woke up before the the needles came out. I know. I feel bad because I don't know anybody... As they say, I don't know anybody who got the shot who's glad they got it, but I know people who didn't who are glad they didn't get it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's uh, it's just a weird time. I don't know. It, it's crazy time. Um, so I was thinking about this too. Yeah. You switched with Black Lives Matter. Switch. What is the answer from your perspective? Mm-hmm. What is the answer to the the race relations in this country right now? What, just stop talking about race. Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, I mentioned that yesterday about mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they're like keeping it out there. Yep. And uh, I don't know who they are. I guess media. Yeah, it's hard to decipher at this but, point. Yeah. But so you think, I mean, I don't know. I'll be honest. I've lived here my whole life. Maybe mm-hmm. this isn't the most like diverse place in the world. Sure. But I don't, I've never seen from my perspective racism or heard somebody actually like portray it how I guess the media or how people want to say it. I've never seen it yeah here I yeah. Mean, this isn't the south I get it I'm sure it's there's places where it's terrible but here I haven't mm-hmm. and it, it it makes it seem like it's everywhere and there's injustice everywhere but 
I don't think that's the case. I don't, I don't think that either. And this is what I tell people all the time. You know, so long as the concept of race exists, racism is going to exist. Mm-hmm. Now, it exists in very small parts and in very small people and small-minded people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to exist. What the Black Lives Matter people tell you and all these people who are so race-obsessed, they are giving the proposition that this is systemic. It is baked into the country. It is quite literally everywhere, as you said. And it's mm-hmm. not everywhere. Right. It's not there's a few racist people, I'm sure, running around the United States of America, and you'll find them in other countries, too. You'll find them in India and Africa and people who judge because they're they're simple minded and they view patterns and they see something that falls outside of their pattern. But it's not as big of an issue as we're making it. And as soon as we stop viewing the world that way, take a breath for a moment and realize that that's not the issue that we're dealing with. How much better are you going to feel? Yeah. And I, I meet these students on college campuses. And when I go for Q&A, it gets a little bit irritating in that I know what the questions are going to be. It's mm-hmm. all these students who are trying to convince me that systemic racism exists and give me all these examples. And I just look at, in my head. I'm just looking at them and thinking, why do you want it to be true so badly? Right. You truly want this to be in existence. What does that give their them cause? Yes. Is that why they want it to be? Yes. Because then like, okay, now I have my purpose is, you know, I have, my life has purpose. I can fight this thing. hundred percent. I mean, I think you get that because that's kind of where you were, mm-hmm. right? You, you're being an activist was your purpose. Yep. Right. So, so I guess you can understand where they're coming from, but yeah, I mean, as they say, what you seek, you will find. Yes. Right. I mean, I remember when the kids, they used to play slug bug, right? So that's, you drive around, you see a Volkswagen bug or a, or a Volkswagen van, uh, a Volkswagen bug is a slug bug. Mm -hmm. A van is a quadruple slug bug. But when you're looking for them, you see them all the time. Yeah. Right. I don't even remember the last time I saw one because the kids haven't been playing this game. Mm -hmm. But the point is whatever you're looking for, you will find. So if you're looking for racism, you will see something like, Oh, did you, did you notice that? And it's like, I don't, was it really there or are you just looking for something? A hundred percent. I used to get these kids who would walk up to me in school because I lived in a mainly white area and they'd go, oh my gosh, can I touch your hair? Like your hair's so cool. You have an afro. And I would be like, these evil racist kids <laughs> want to touch my hair when it was just curiosity. Right. It was just them wanting to know somebody who's different and possibly create a friendship with me. But because I was looking for it. Mm-hmm. It's what I found. Right. That's what everybody, we, we all need an enemy. I think like throughout human history, humans have had something to fight against and something that they've constantly been pushing against. Now we're sort of in this hyper comfortable period in time where we don't really have an enemy to engage with all yeah. that much except ourselves and then creating these fake divides. Right. And, you know, I do think that life is so good here in the United States, maybe not other countries. I know other, we have it, you know, as good as anybody could, but I think that we have it so good. People can focus on stupid shit. And I'm not saying racism is stupid. I'm just saying that people get distracted creating issues to, you know, I think the word drama queen has been thrown around, you know, in different ways, but it's almost like that for everybody. Or not everybody, but some people, they want the drama. They want something to be worked up about. And it's because life is so good 
we have it so you know easy so to speak that they have time they have time and energy to waste yeah and (laughs) in the meantime we're just being suffocated by comfort it's just wild and all these elites or whoever they are as we referred to them earlier they're just taking in all this power that's created in in the divide and in the comfort so that that brings me to politics um what's your political stance i mean you know, I don't know that I have one. So working for, for PragerU, because we're a nonprofit, and I won't get into the specifics, but we're a specific type of nonprofit that doesn't engage in political discourse as far as like voting and in politicians. So I can't speak too much on it, but I will say that I'm kind of disillusioned with the whole system as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody who's truly fighting in whatever our corner is. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a lot of theater and it feels like we're all just getting constantly tricked to engage in a system that is not serving any of us so i don't know what i'm turning into in this process now but i'm kind of starting to give up a little bit yeah i know i i thought that too because i've worked i've worked i I hate paul i say i hate politics but Mm -hmm. i like to stand for what i believe is the right thing sure and um um i think pride in our country i think um rewarding people who work hard fighting for people who work hard you know i mentioned when i was when i was a supervisor over over construction i always wanted to fight for the guys doing the job because Mm -hmm. i've i see a lot of places that management tries to take too much credit and they're not doing anything and that's how i kind of see politics it's like are the politicians doing anything or just taking credit because the people actually doing it are our workforce and the people who show up every day and don't feel entitled to things. Those are the people who I believe in. And normally that's a Republican, more conservative slant. Sure. So I was like, well, I hate politics, but I like to, I want to help people who, who believe like that. So I tried to help with the presidential campaign. I tried to help with the governorship, the mm-hmm. governor's race here in Oregon and both the candidates lost. <laughs> and then I was like, well, is this all theater? Do, mm-hmm. Are they all in on it together? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, do they all go to these dinners together and, and it's you know, like they're elbowing each other. Like, look at these idiots. They took all, you know, we took all their money. We sure. took $50 million to, to run, to be governor and didn't really have a chance. It all worked out how they wanted to. And I see the fundraisers and I see the, uh, like the college campuses where the Democrats come in and just run the show. Republicans really have no answer. And it's like, man, it's frustrating. Yeah, we're in a messed up system as it stands right now. I mean, you got politicians walking into their jobs with a bunch of money that they got from lobbyists and fundraising and all this stuff. And they're supposed to be public servants, but they're yeah. leaving millionaires. So uh, there's a problem there. They're staging these political theater moments that happen on TV that end up going viral. And I, I don't think those are uh, truly real and organic in any way, shape or form. And at the end of the day, they're all fighting for their own expansion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a politician you can trust is probably one who's not fighting for the expansion of their own governance. And right. those are few and far between right now. And I honestly, I'm just getting to this point where I think it's the less government, the better. I'm right there with you in that the people doing the work should be the people who we're trusting. And that Mm -hmm. to me means less government intervention. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, there's a couple, I like Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, she was a Democrat. Now she's independent, but I, I do like her. I believe her. 
I mean, we did, I did a, a ruck with her 50 miles for the fallen in Hawaii and we walked right by her house. Mm-hmm. It was like the most normal house ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a regular neighborhood. And I'm like, I can trust this person. Cause yeah. that, cause I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, you look at say Nancy Pelosi making millions off of politics. Right. And then I see Tulsi, who's wanting to make a difference, rocking 50 miles for the fall and living in a regular house. I'm like, okay, I trust that person. Yeah. And uh, I wish there was, there was more like her. Exactly. And then when you look at Tulsi, you go, for me, it says, oh, I know the system's broken because a person like her is not going to be able to go anywhere within it. She, right. she can't do it. I mean, she's, she's not going to have the funding to do it. She's not going to have... She'll have public support, yes. but she's not going to have the support of the people who truly rig the game up. The for, system. Yep. Yeah, the system. And yep. that's, you know, I, to run for governor, it's $50 million. To run for president, Gosh, it's $500 it's million. crazy. So if you're not associated with RNC or DNC, then where are you getting this money? Right. Takes, takes you know, $100 million, $300 million to run for president, but you're supposed to be a public servant who's getting paid $200,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. Make that at, or 400000 I don't know what his salary is supposed to be, but please make that math work yeah. for me because it doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't even, work. If, even if you carry the one, it still doesn't work. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't actually, I didn't realize that PragerU was not affiliated with any politics. Yeah. So what, what is the, what's PragerU exactly? So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Okay. So you have 501c3, which just talks values. We can't tell you who to vote for. We can't tell you much about the politicians running or the issues or bills or legislation. We can tell you about our educational five minute videos. We can tell you about conservative values, uh, religion, whatever it is. Uh, then you'll have TPUSA who does a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. They can tell you who to vote for. They can go out and and knock doors and and talk to people about legislation. So we don't have that, uh, which is kind of a good thing. You know, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's not really about these names and faces who you're seeing on your TV screen. It's about your, your values. So we have that to our benefit. Yeah, and, and TPUSA, they're for-profit. Uh, so actually, they're, they're a non-profit organization. I, I misspoke. They're, they're a non-profit, but they have 501c3, which is that value-based yes. talking, and then they're 501c4, which means they can tell you oh, I see. where to go and where to vote. Yeah. Okay, I see. And have you, have you uh, done any work for them? or? You know, I've been on a few of their shows, but we're, we're not really too closely associated. You know, we're on the same team and everything and, and working towards the same goal, but not, not much work with TPUSA. Okay. Yeah. So you, you mentioned you want to meet Tom and talk to him, right? Oh yeah. Who, who else would you love to sit across the table from? Oh my gosh. Who have I not, you know, this is not necessarily a political person, but Wim Hof. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You did the Wim Hof impersonation <laughs> My Wim today. Hof impression on the mount. It was awesome. It's all about the breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's he just seems like a man with a, a lot of wisdom, and I think he's deeply appreciated by the people who follow him and see what he's truly trying to get at. But I don't think the scientific world has quite yet caught on to what he's been able to access in the human mind. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mean with the cold baths and things like that? Because I I do hear that. I do hear like Huberman talk about it. Susan Solberg talk about it. But 
does Wim Hof, I haven't followed him. Does he have a different slant on it? Yeah. So I guess he's been doing through breath work and meditation and the cold exposure therapy and all these different things. He claims that he's built a resiliency in his body to things like infection and viruses. And they actually had a team take on him and I think 12 of the people who have been trained by him and injected them with a, a virus in a hospital to gauge their response to it. And through his meditative practices and breath work, they were actually able to alleviate a lot of the typical symptoms that humans would really respond things like fever and chills and all these different uh, biological responses. He fought it naturally, fought it naturally by preparing with his, body. his mind. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? That is. And he claims that there are so many things that we are uh, capable of just through really trying to make ourselves uncomfortable and engaging mm -hmm. with our minds. And uh, they've done brain scans on him where they say there he's accessing parts of the human brain that scientists thought were dormant. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? That is. So I'd like to know more about that. I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, every time I've seen him, he looks, I mean, I don't know. He looks kind of crazy a little bit, yes. like his hair is kind of wild and he's, I've never really spent time absorbing what he said, though. So I'm sure. like making this judgment based on I don't even know what nothing. And I did that, too. I looked at him. I was like, this guy is some weird guru, yeah. you know, hippie guy yes. who has nothing to, to offer. And then you look a little further and you go, oh, wow. Yeah, he might ha he might really be onto something here. Yeah, this guy isn't. Yeah, he's not just coming out of left field. Right. There's something to it. Right. Yeah. I need to do some more research on that. Um, so how the lift run shoot today. What do you think? You know, I, I think I came into this wanting to, to push myself. I think I achieved that. And like you said earlier, I think I've, I've never pushed myself so hard in, in my life physically, which is kind of sad in, in a sense that, you know, I'm at this young age and I haven't gone and done that yet. So I'm so glad to have done it in this environment. You got lots of time. Yeah. Yeah. But not that much time. <laughs> No, you, you did great. I mean, it was, and I think Taylor even said that that was the hardest he's pushed in a while, if I remember right. Yeah, and yeah, he, exactly And he was, right. fil he was filming you. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you're bringing a whole lot of people to the light through this process. Oh, it was good. I mean, and also, you know, going to the bow rack, and I love when people get the chance to talk to Wayne because mm -hmm. he's like, he has so much he wants to say. He wants to teach, but mm -hmm. also he has a lot on his heart that he wants to say. And I know he took some time out for, for you. Yeah. And, uh, we need more people like Wayne. Yes. He's got this aura about him. I'm not very spiritual or anything like that, but he is just so very calm and you can tell that he's actually slowing down and taking in just every single moment. And he's so hyper aware of, of his surroundings and just truly patient mm -hmm. and those are things that I'm trying to work on every day in life. Just reminding myself to slow down because you've probably noticed I'm a very fast, just like <laughs> yeah. going for it, hyperactive person. So to meet somebody who's just calm yeah. and ready and will take anybody at any stage in their learning and go, okay, we're going to do this today. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah, It's one reason why, I mean, you can go into the bow rack and you will leave with an armful of things because yes. it's like, no, Wayne told me I need this. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he is so good at, you just want to believe what he says. Exactly. Cause it's like, it's delivered with such, 
such conviction. Mm -hmm. You're like, this guy's got to know what he's talking about. Yeah. You guys have a very similar temperament about you in that when you're, when you're talking, you just know, oh, they want you to succeed. Mm -hmm. They want you to walk out of here having accomplished what you set out to accomplish and, and way more. And they want you to know that, you know, if nobody else has faith in you, I've got faith in you and you can do it. And like to, to leave with that is such a powerful thing. You know, a lot of people don't get that in life. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my goal was to see you hit that balloon at long distance Yeah. and you set the keep hammering collective record, yeah. the women's record, the women's record. <laughs> you know, we got to separate the, the sexes when it comes to sports. <laughs> Donald, Donald Cerrone has the overall, the men's record. You okay. have the women's now at 49 yards. Nice. Um, Natalie was at 48, okay. but you shot great. Thank you, you shot great today. Thanks. I mean, and you know, you hadn't shot since you were 12 years old, 12. I think. Yep. Thanks to the Hunger Games, you got a bow from Walmart? Where from was Walmart. <laughs> yep. I think it was like maybe 30 or $40. Yeah. <laughs> the bow that I got and the arrows were maybe 60 cents each. Well, and then we had a little bit of a challenge because we had the left eye, right eye dominant issue. Mm -hmm. So today... We covered up the the lens on the left side. Yeah. You got out to forty nine yards, and you shot so well. We just got that sight a little bit tweaked, and then you were you were all around that balloon. Finally, yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah. It, was it so feels fun. good to just go through the the trials and just keep going until until you get it. Keep going until you get it. Because sometimes you're just like, oh, I don't want to intrude. I'll, I'll you know I'll try to the extent that they let me try, and if I don't get it, I don't get it. But you're like you're gonna get it. No, I, we're yeah. gonna be here until you we, do. It. We were gonna be, yeah, we'd still be there. Yeah, but you got it quick, Thanks. and then came in here, did a nice lift. How how was that? My arms are yeah. gonna be feeling this for the next. Oh, you did you did <laughs> great. Days. You did great. I didn't know Thanks. I didn't know that you were um, as I don't know physically uh, capable as you are. I mean, you hammered out the mountain you kicked butt you shot the 49 yards you lifted in here it's like man you undersold yourself yeah i guess i don't i probably if we had done this two months ago i would have been in even worse shape this has been a recent thing where not really when this year turned around but over the past few months i've just been having this voice in the back of my head going like you need to you need to start working physically. It's going to help you so much mentally. It's going to help you in the work that you're doing to just start your day out right. So the fitness journey has been a recent endeavor that I think I need to keep up with. With the cold plunge too? With the cold plunges too. Yeah. Yeah. Those started about about 30 days ago. I don't know where we're at in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to do one still today. Yes, we are. So yeah, it's it's been a great day. <laughs> it has. I, uh, um, I'm going to do a little Q and a here okay. with you. And I put this post up and people had, I just loved what they had to say about you. Oh. It's uh, let me see here. Let me get to this again. Oh, here, here we go. So the questions I have here, Oh my God, I love her. So damn intelligent. <laughs> oh. Not really a question, but that's, that's just really nice. I know. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the feelings you elicit. So, I mean, you're doing a great job. Um, this is a pretty good one with illogical people. How do you decide to dialogue or leave and not waste your time? Mm, okay. I can give everybody what I think is a tried and true test when talking to people who you disagree with and you ask them one question. Is there any information that I could give you right now that would change your mind on this subject matter? And if they go, 
well, let's say you're talking about the COVID vax and you say, is there anything right now that I could change your mind on this subject matter? And they go, nope, nothing you can change my mind about. Done. Your conversation's over. Right. You're dealing with somebody who is an ideologue. They believe what they believe no matter what is put in front of their face. Mm -hmm. But if they go, yeah, you know, you could show me that the vaccine doesn't work in 90% of cases. And then maybe I would believe you. Continue the conversation. Gotcha. That's somebody who is at least has some logical part of their brain yeah. intact and working. So if they're dug in, then it's not wait, not worth the time. Yeah, because they're quite literally telling you in that moment that it does not matter how hard you try, how much evidence you put in front of my face, or how you deliver that evidence. I am not going to believe you no matter what you say. So that's a good clear marker for me that maybe you shouldn't waste your, your mental energy on that person. Do you remember a time where somebody was pretty staunch in their beliefs and then they said they were open to it and you were mm. able to talk, talk through anything with them? I meet people on college campuses and students that come. I think what has really made me successful in terms of discourse with people is having that prior experience as a leftist. It really softens people when they talk to me a little bit mm -hmm. and students will come and say, you know, I, I get what you're saying and I get why you changed your mind, but I disagree with you on, on this point. And they mm -hmm. come wanting to really challenge me and wanting to hate me. And then as the conversation goes, they know I'm like, I'm not going to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a mean person. And then they soften a little bit and some of them end up coming around eventually, although it takes some time. This is, I, this reminded me of one. So you were in college, you mentioned you speak at colleges, mm -hmm. you dropped out of college. How do you see college for a young person now? I mean, how is it, is it necessary? Is it mandatory? Obviously for a doctor, you have to sure. go to school, but where do you see college as far as importance in this day and age? I, yeah, if, it, if it's mandatory for your career, then it's mandatory for your career. Go ahead and do it. If you are armed with critical thinking skills and you're ready to be in college and, you know, maybe hear views that are completely dissident to everything that you believe and just try to steer through it, go to college. Do I think it's necessary? No. I think you can achieve just about anything you want to achieve in this world outside of lawyer, doctor not going to college. And I think it was unfortunate that from a really young age, it was hammered into me that college had to be the experience that you had. It was just the, the only jump you could make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I told people I'm not going to college, they freaked out on me. How did you're going to be homeless? Because <laughs> you, you were valedictorian, you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they went, "How dare you? You know, you can't end your high school career a valedictorian and then not go to college. You know, you're you're going to be on the street. You're never going to make it anywhere. And then you get out into the real world and you find that there's so many people willing to accept you mm -hmm. or give you experience without having had that college degree. What's the key to succeeding without college? Mindset. 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 I when I graduated high school. I applied for so many jobs that I was unqualified for. Really? <laughs> and this is something that in looking into some of the feminist narratives, uh, women are not encouraged to do, or at least women do not, do not naturally think that way. Men, when they go into the job market, they're like, I want this job. I don't care if I'm qualified for it. I'm going to apply for mm -hmm. it. I'm going to negotiate a higher salary. And women are just so agreeable and nurturing that they go, oh, well, I'm not ready for that job yet. And I applied for hundreds of jobs that I was mm. not ready for yeah. and ended up just getting somebody willing to take me up on it. So if you want to learn something, get a job that facilitates that learning. If you can't get a job that facilitates that learning, do 
everything you can in the vein of self-education to get to a point where you can get that job. Is uh, is that attitude like where men, they're not qualified, but they'll try to get it and they want more money when they get it. Is yeah. that just uh, the difference in male and female? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, some people might argue that it's nurtured or anything, but I do think just men naturally have that propensity to mm -hmm. just go for things. They are naturally more competitive with one another uh, when it comes to everything Yeah. <laughs> when compared to women. And they just have more testosterone, more assertiveness. They're mm -hmm. way more ready to put themselves in a position that, you know, might go south. Yeah. And I mean, you know, college... Uh, demographics these days speak to that because more women are going to college than men. Yeah. I think it's switched to, uh, I think it's me and Chris Williamson talked about this, but it's like 60, 40, maybe mm -hmm. women in college yeah. as opposed to men. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. We, so what you're hap what is happening is you're getting all these qualified women, professional women, these guys who aren't an equal in, mm -hmm. in regard to academics. And so it's, it's made it harder for women to find a, a mate because yep. they want an educated, if they're educated, they want an educated man. Yeah. So it's, it's made it difficult, but, uh, um, yeah, I, it's just, it's just so strange how, and a lot of people do say college is mandatory. If you want to be successful, if mm -hmm. you want to be, you know, make it, and if you want to, the American dream college, but mm -hmm. You've proven that's not the case. I didn't go to school, but yeah. you know, obviously we're different people. But uh, yeah, I mean, so the mind, you said mindset is the key. Um, is that yeah. just having a passion and and believing in yourself or believing in your skills? Or what, what do you mean mindset? Yeah, I think the first prerequisite is totally believing that you can do it without having gone to college. If you don't think that, then I mean, you might as well just sign up and start going to whatever university is, is closest. But it is about thinking there are ways that I can achieve this without doing the XYZ plan that I've been given. And people will go and find barriers. Well, oh, I shouldn't apply to that job because I didn't go to college or I shouldn't, you know, go out and do this because I should totally go to college first. But instead think about, okay, without college, what's, what's something I can do or, or what's the next step or how mm -hmm. do I learn this without paying, you know, $40,000 a, a year to, to this university. And when you just switch the thinking a little bit and change it into like, I, oh, I didn't go to college into like, yeah. I didn't have to go to college. Right, it right. changes everything Different for perspective. you. Mm -hmm. Instead of I'm a failure, I didn't go to, yeah, I can succeed in spite of no college. Yeah. yeah. I saw a video the other day of this girl just asking everybody a question and it was, who are you without your problems? And I was like, whoa, I don't think a lot of people sit down and ask themselves that. And if I had asked myself that question when I was 17, I would have been nobody. I would not have had a personality. So your anything. problems were your identity. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people are dealing with right now. It's just like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I went through this trauma, trauma, trauma. I have this mental illness. I identify as this thing. And it's just like, okay, what outside of that? Who are you when that's not around? Well, so who are you now without your problems? Um, I'm hopefully a, a truth seeking compassionate person who's trying to build relationships and just better myself on a, a human level, on a psychological level, and somebody who's trying to 
build a life of just happiness and fulfillment. And I hope that's what I'm trying to accomplish day in and day out. <laughs> but sometimes we get problems and they, yeah. they just, you know, cloud our vision. Then you deal with them and move on. Right. Yeah. We hope I, you know, I mentioned Chris Williamson. He, I was, I was curious about this too, because you're so, I mean, you're such a good speaker and he talked about before he does his podcast, he does these mental exercises. He mm -hmm. does these vocal, um, warmups. He does, he's got a mindset coach type thing. Oh, wow. And I'm like, God, I don't do anything. And he's like, he doesn't drink <laughs> caffeine. He doesn't do this. He does. So he can just be so sharp. And I'm like, wow, I do absolutely nothing. I drink caffeine all the time. I don't prepare. I don't yeah. have a coach. So what, what do you do? How are you so good? Oh, I'm not doing caffeine or anything like that. Although I might sound like I am half the time <laughs> on my show. I, I think before I start the show, this wasn't something that I've always done, but before I start the show now, I'm thinking about how, if somebody opens up their laptop today and finds my podcast and it's live, how can I make them feel like they're welcome and that they're being heard and that I'm not trying to just be this divisive person all the mm -hmm. time and just picturing different people opening and listening to the podcast mm -hmm. and seeing how it resonates with them. So now I'm just trying to stay in that space of just compassion and trying to give good faith arguments for both sides and constantly trying to remind myself. But again, I fail all the time and sometimes but, things just piss me off. Right. <laughs> I, and, but consciously you're like trying to be the example or mm -hmm. trying to, trying to be fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I think, I mean, just being, having that, objectivity is, I mean, most people don't have that. They think this is, I believe everybody should believe like this. Right. And so just you being objective about it and thinking, thinking that, well, if somebody just happens upon this, how can I be more, uh, um, open or I don't know, I don't know how to, how to word it, but, sure. but just thinking that, well, if somebody sees this, maybe they'll listen to me at least. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that approach. Thank um, you. Okay. Has she ever hunted and will she start? <laughs> I have never hunted ever before in my life. I think I would do it once and once, once. Why I think once? because I just want to develop a deep amount of respect and appreciation for where my, my food comes from and have that very human experience of mm -hmm being the person who gets your own food. Uh, I don't know that I would do it any more than that because I just don't know yeah. how necessary it is in my life. Right. But I do think it's necessary now to develop that understanding because I, I don't have it. I don't think most Americans have it. I think that e even once would be important Yeah. because, you know, for us to survive, animals die. Yeah. That's all there is to it. And so, I, I can respect that, that you'd want to experience that one time at least mm -hmm. because most people wouldn't even entertain the one time. So right. I respect that. And, um, yeah, who knows where it'd go from there, but you know, killing an animal is a big deal. It's, yeah. but we do it, we do it with our checkbook all the time. Right. <laughs> you and know, that's where I'm at. It's just how, how do I move about the world with inflicting the least amount of damage possible mm -hmm. and not killing things unnecessarily? Right. So it's finding that balance. You know, if I was hunting and well, I'm the woman, I probably wouldn't be doing this. My husband would be doing this, but providing for the whole family with the meat yeah. that I was hunting, then we might be having a, a different conversation because it's 
far more humane, it seems, than the system that we currently have set up. And we're actually talking about sustainability. Mm-hmm. But right now, if I started going on hunts, you know, quite often, I'd feel like I was unnecessarily yeah. killing things. I understand. Yeah. I understand. I can respect the one time, though. I mean, yeah. that's uh, it, it is. It's a big deal. But I think it's important for, I mean, everybody to know how it works. I mean, mm-hmm. I went to, uh, uh, there was a butcher shop that I went to in Idaho and they were slaughtering cows Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even that I didn't enjoy seeing that. I Mm -hmm. mean, I hunt, I've killed a lot of animals, but seeing an animal die like that, that wasn't in the wild was difficult, but it's important for me to see it because it happens every day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's kind of in that same vein about doing it one time. I mean, I don't need to go to a butcher shop every day. I don't need to see 30 or 40 cows. They kill 30 or 40 head of cows every day. I don't need to see that every day, but I think it's important to know that for us to survive, it caused, it takes life. Yeah. And life. I mean, we talk about overcoming barriers like the ice bass and the mountains and things like that. I can't think of a bigger barrier than standing at the, you know, the other end of a bow and saying, okay, I'm going to let go of this thing. And this something's going to die uh, yeah. because of a choice that I'm making right now. And I that's think that's a tough thing to grapple with. Yeah. Yeah. No. At least for me. <laughs> I don't know. I Some think people, it is. I feel like it's just like. They, they, it's easy for them. They can go out and just and just do it. I mean, yeah, for, for me, when I first started, I didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. I could kill an animal and I wouldn't even think. Now that I got older, um, it actually means, or there's more gravity to it. Yeah. And I think I've just grown up. I have more compassion than I did when I was a kid. But yeah, some people probably do. They were like me when I was young and didn't think about it and just like, yeah, I'll go kill a buck, whatever. Um, but yeah, we change. We yeah. evolve as humans, you know, that we have a different mindset. Um, but yeah, it's an important journey. 100%. No, no doubt. Yeah. Um, so here's one. Did her ice plunges help her prepare for today with you? So, <laughs> so did that mental strength come in handy today? I think so. Yeah. I've been in the ice plunges. I'm like, don't be a bitch. Don't be a bitch. <laughs> Just go and do it. Just do it. Just do it. So that helped, especially with the, the, the cold up there on the mountain and the slush. So just that nagging voice in your head that's saying, you know, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And being able to quell that a little bit, maybe the ice baths have helped a bit. Oh, you were very tough today. <laughs> you were very you. tough today. Um, last one here. Okay. Yay. Love her and her show. Thanks for showing her around town. So Aww. that's it. Just lots of support for you. That's great. Um, you're making a difference in this world. I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you're here. I'm honored to be able to talk to you because I do respect what you do. And I think you're an important voice for this younger generation. And I, I respect your journey too, because it has, you've changed, Mm -hmm. you've evolved in your thinking and, um, hopefully you can help others also, whether they change or not, whatever, but just be objective about how they look at things and the way you've done it with class and, and dignity is something we all can learn from. Thank you. So, oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Amala. So much kindness over the past two days. It's just been really, well, really you, wonderful. You deserve it. Um, so how I always end the show mm-hmm. is this way. Okay. Handing you your own bow. Oh, wow. Your keep hammering <laughs> point. Love it. <laughs> there it is. You're, and I give that to who I believe are outliers. And for the reasons I just mentioned, you're an outlier. And you deserve a brand new Hoyt. I love 
how you shoot it. I love how you handle it, but mostly I love that you're an archer and yeah, it's been a journey from Katniss days yeah. in 2012, <laughs> I guess with the Walmart bow to actually getting a great, a good Hoyt bow here. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's an honor to give it to you. This is a real deal. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your, your life with me over the past few days. It's been just an incredible experience and just, I don't know, it's pushed me in, in ways that I'm definitely going to remember. Thank you for coming to Oregon and experiencing my little life as a bow hunter. Anytime. <laughs> Take care. Keep hammering. <laughs> Hoyt Archery has been my bow hunting sponsor since 2005. And personally, I really don't care what bow you shoot, what brand it is. I just hope that you have the same level of confidence in your equipment as I have in mine. Because I know if I get one opportunity with my Hoyt, it's going to pay off. I think a lot of you guys will be interested in this next sponsor. First Light Farms is a New Zealand-based farm that ships elk meat straight to your door. The reality is not everyone's going to fill their tag every year. So First Light Farms is ready to fill your freezer with lean protein that is high in iron, zinc, and B vitamins. To tell you the truth, I've been pretty surprised at how tender the meat is from First Light Farms. And I guess it's because they have no natural predators in New Zealand, so the elk live a pretty low-stress life, and you can taste that in the meat. They're offering listeners of the podcast a 15% discount using code CAM15 at stateclub.firstlight.farms. The link will be in the show notes of the podcast for those interested.